This is James E. Ford, 2014 North Carolina Teacher of the Year. You're listening to the New Teacher Podcast. If you're a new teacher interested in hearing about the latest tips and tricks to inspire you in the classroom, you've come to the right place. The New Teacher Podcast features interviews with award-winning classroom teachers, the latest authors, and educational leaders recognized for their proven teaching techniques and strategies. Hear the stories of their success and failure. To listen to past episodes, view show notes, or to contact us, please visit our website at newteacher.org. Now here's your host, Anthony Arno. Hello and welcome to the New Teacher Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Arno, and I'm so glad that you can join us here today. It is my hope that you will become inspired by hearing nationally recognized teachers talk about their successes and failures in the classroom. This is our seventh episode today, and we have James Ford, who's the 2014 North Carolina Teacher of the Year and Charlatine of the Year, as selected by Charlotte Magazine. I want to thank again my guest from last week, Thomas Whaley, and in just three weeks we'll be giving away a signed copy of his latest book, Leaving Montana, to one lucky listener who subscribes and leaves us a review on iTunes. Or you can visit our website at newteacher.org and leave us a recorded message. I hope to hear from you real soon. And now, here's my talk with James. My guest today grew up just outside of Chicago, and prior to teaching, he worked with truant teenagers. Not only was he named the North Carolina Teacher of the Year, but he was also named as the Charlatine of the Year by Charlotte Magazine, which featured him on their cover. In being named to this honor, he was also in the company of a world-famous ballerina dancer and a prosecutor who exposed a corrupt mayor. The executive editor of Charlotte Magazine, Michael Graff is quoted as saying, I challenge anybody to find anybody more inspiring in this country than somebody like James Ford. If you listen to him talk and you listen to his story, there are very few people like him. James, welcome to the New Teacher Podcast. I can't wait to share your story with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, do you have a personal story about a teacher that might have inspired you as a student, and what do you remember the most about them? Oh, yeah, I have uh, plenty of stories about teachers who um, kind of pulled me out of a state of sinking apathy. Uh, So, there's a list of all-stars, but there's one in particular who I really kind of point to as the one who kind of precipitated the pivotal change in my life, and that's Mr. Stokes, Mr. Ernest Stokes. was my junior year honors English teacher. Uh, this is a guy who stood off about five foot seven, uh, short, thin, gray-haired white man who, um, you know, while cutting up in his class and doing what I typically did as a struggling student who was content to fly beneath his potential, uh, witnessed very early on what was happening. And during the first day of class, and this is a legendary teacher who everybody knew and had loads of respect for, and even I did myself, but um, I started doing what I typically do, you know, distracting folks and cracking jokes in the class. And he pulled me aside on the first day of school my junior year and said, hey, Ford, out in the hallway now. And instead of doing what most teachers had done prior to that, which is tell me what I'm not and tell me what I'm doing wrong, he looked in my face and told me I was smart. 
he told me that I didn't do a very good job of hiding it and that he could see that I had a lot of potential. And uh, he offered me a proposition. He said, you know, I could teach you so much if you would just listen. And I never had a teacher approach me in such a way to tell me everything that I was instead of what I wasn't. And uh, I wanted to prove him right. And I considered that to be the moment that I really changed uh, from just a, a, a goer to school <laughs> to an actual student. Um, and I'm forever grateful and indebted to him for that. Wow, that's incredible. And that was in your junior year in high school. It took that long for somebody to pull you aside and to just <laughs> tell you those words. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess you could consider me a late bloomer of sorts. <laughs> uh, it, took me, it took me quite some time to really recognize what the function and purpose of school is. I was really there so more so just to socialize with my friends and kind of, you know, um, be, you know, be a jokester. And, uh, you know, he was having none of that. And, you know, I, I, my grades were in no reflection of my intelligence. And he could have written me off like so many other teachers had done, but he saw something in me. And, um, you know, that inspired me. Um, and to this day, that's who I try to be. And James, tell us about the moment that you decided you wanted to become a teacher. Yeah, so I backed my way into this profession. Even with that sort of inspiring story, I never set out uh, with the intention of being a teacher. I went to school and got my degree in journalism. I was a mass communications major. And, uh, you know, I graduated with this big shiny degree into a world that had now been taken over by internet-produced journalism. And so I had to find work elsewhere. But I always worked with young people. And so I found myself doing that, working in various nonprofits and uh, working, as you mentioned in the opening, as a truancy intervention specialist in the local high school, even ran my own teen center for a while and just received so much enjoyment from it. Just, it was so fulfilling. I felt like I was helping my 16 year old self, you know, <laughs> given exactly what that kid needed when, when, when I was their age that I just wanted to, I wanted to do something that expanded on what I was doing. I wanted that job as something better. And as I began to itemize the things that I love most about it, I was like, this job already exists. It's called teaching. So <laughs> When I received that revelation, I just immediately went and enrolled in a master's program and got my master's of arts in teaching. And I haven't looked back since 2009. That was my chosen career path. And I like to say that, you know, I discovered I was a teacher more than I chose to be one. Right. So, James, how old were you when you first entered the classroom as a teacher? I was 29 years old. So, as you can imagine, um, I thought I was young, but I quickly realized that that was not the case. So... Yeah. 29. Now, you grew up outside of Chicago in Rockford, Illinois, a district that was full of obvious class differences between black and white students. How did your experience as a student mold you to be the teacher that you are today? Well, I think it immediately gave me a heart for justice because I saw what uh, inequities look like uh, before I even had the language um, to articulate that. So, you know, I grew up in uh, as you mentioned, a red, relatively segregated uh, city um, that uh, up until maybe the fifth grade um, had been under, um, had been running a de facto segregated school system. And uh, I was on the receiving end of that uh, until, you know, of course, some court orders uh, took place and there was some desegregation uh, efforts made. And I benefited from seeing what then integrated schools look like and what happens when you allow students from different backgrounds to co-mingle 
and to interact. And, you know, so I saw both sides of the coin and immediately they gave me a heart for justice, a heart for equity and parity. And, um, you know, I would not be the person that I am if it weren't for that. And I consider myself fortunate because for every student like me, the ones who were exposed to different worlds and given the opportunity to um, see a different side of life and, and receive a superior education, uh, even if I didn't take advantage of it at the time, um, there are a bunch of students, um, friends, you know, associates who didn't benefit from that. And you can see how it affected them. And so um, that desire, um, I think, lit a fire within me to see that every child has equal opportunities uh, educationally, that, that every student has access to a quality education because I know what it can do for a person's life. I'm not telling people what I've heard. I'm telling people what I know. Right. So that's I teach from a social justice uh, frame of mind because of my upbringing. And now you grew up in what today is called the second worst place for black students in Rockford, Illinois. James, yes, I want you to talk to the new teachers out there. Somewhere out there is a brand new teacher listening to this podcast, and they might have doubts about taking a teaching position in an urban area. And they might mm -hmm. want to teach in a suburban area where the schools aren't as challenging. What would you say to that teacher? I would say that, you know, for new teachers, um, and, and I, I'll be 100% honest with you, uh, what ends up happening for new teachers is they tend to be the primary workforce for the most challenging, uh, most uh, high-needs, high-poverty schools. And you need to really strap up your boots with the intention of learning. It can be done. Um, but so rarely do teacher prep programs really prepare you for what you're going to step into. There are a bunch of sociological factors at work in classrooms that have nothing to do with pedagogy, have nothing to do with practice, have everything to do with learning about the circumstances your students come from. And really, to be honest, in that environment, you are the student. You have to learn your students in order to effectively convey any message. And first, you have to gain their trust. You have to understand uh, the context that they come from. Um, but I tell you what, there is no short stepping. There is no skimming. It will develop. It will force you to develop uh, your best self as a teacher. You have to go in your trick bag every day <laughs> uh, because it's just mandated if you want to get the buy-in. And when students understand from that environment that you are there because you choose to be, not because you're forced to be, that you have a genuine love for their social welfare outside of their academic welfare, they would demonstrate a sort of loyalty and love that you've never felt before. Uh, I've never felt more relevant, never felt more appreciated than when I was in the urban ed environment. And uh, it's something that, you know, has changed me. I'm a better person because of my interaction with those kids. And, uh, you know, I salute them. Now, James, growing up, your parents repeatedly said that college was not an option. It was the expectation. How were you able to embrace this message coming from parents who did not even attend college themselves? In other words, when you were growing up as a child, what was your concept of one day attending college? Was it something that was realistic? Was it part of your game plan? Well, to be perfectly honest, it was not. Um, it was something I'd heard them refer to all the time. And so, like most things, just through rote, you end up hearing it over and over again. But it was nothing that I thought intensely about um, it, it was just 
you know, like anything else, right? Uh, that's communicated and, and by your parents. And um, as mentioned, I was a late bloomer. So, I mean, I supposed that I was going to college. I didn't think about what needed to be done in order to get there or, you know, what, what sort of classes I would have to take. It wasn't really until right about that junior year, which is about as late as anybody can pull up um, <laughs> to to really start focusing, okay, if I'm going to go here, I got to change some of my habits. I got to change some things about uh, the way I perform academically and my approach to learning. And um, I, something happened within me where I said, you know, I, I think I really want to go. I said, I think about life and how I could look. And those are major decisions, you know, as a 16, right. 17 year old. And uh, I just decided I wanted it for myself. It became an intrinsic motivation. And that's when I think the light switch really went off for me. In 2014, Charlotte Magazine selected you as the Charlatine of the Year and featured you on their front cover. You went up against world-class ballerina Patricia McBride, who had received the Kennedy Center honor that year alongside Sting and Tom Hanks. You also went up against a U.S. attorney who exposed a corrupt mayor and even a newly constructed baseball stadium. Why do you think the magazine picked you as the Charlatine of the Year to appear on their front cover? Honest answer, I have no idea. <laughs> um, you know, especially when you uh, list the uh, accolades of, of the other folks who are, you know, most deserving themselves. You know, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And honestly, I think I think that um, the selection of myself was more, represent, more representative of um, Charlotte, at large and the magazine specifically, their acknowledgement of the, the vital force that education is, the role that it plays in securing um, stability, uh, both uh, socially, economically, um, that you know, education is the bedrock of our democracy, uh, that we are to be self-governing. We need to make sure that we have young people who are getting these base level knowledge bases so they can grow up and, and preserve the future for the rest of us. And so I think for, I think I'm, I was representative of that. that. I was just one of many other educators, just a face of the industry and of the sector of education. And um, so I don't think it was about me uh, individually. Um, I think there are several other outstanding teachers doing heroic work everywhere across the country, across the world, really. So I don't take myself too seriously, but I'm appreciative of, the embracing of that message that perhaps my presence represents. James, what is one thing a new teacher can do tomorrow in their classroom to become more effective as a teacher? You know, um, beginning tomorrow is a couple of things. First and foremost, if they haven't already, uh, find mentors. And I mean, I, I don't mean that in the formal sense. Sure, we're all assigned mentors, but you know, you can select individuals. There's a knowledge trust a brain trust at every high school. There are individuals who have been there for years or who haven't, but are outstanding at their craft. And you need to, you need to be around them. You need to soak up and observe what they're doing. You need to be taking notes, allow them to critique you, uh, to watch you and to embrace that constructive criticism. Uh, the other thing is to be reflective. Um, I'm, I'm, I was always one of those who was kind of envious of <laughs> these veteran teachers who, just made it look so easy. And they would tell me, hey, you know, you can't cheat the craft. You can't cheat the profession. I'm 20-some years into this, and so I, I make it look easy. 
but uh, this is the result of a lot of hard work. I'm sure. So I'd say the same to beginning teachers. Don't cheat the craft. Put the uh, time in, in the off-season, like, as I call it, in the summertime. Adding one tool every chance you get and until you build a repertoire. Those are a couple things you could do to start off. What was one of the biggest mistakes that ever took place in your teaching career, and what did you learn from that mistake? Oh, man. Well, first of all, there are several <laughs> for all the new teachers out there. Uh, you know, People make this look so easy, as I mentioned, and talk about it like they've never failed. Uh, there's several to choose from. But I think there was a time uh, when I had a kid who, you know, was genuinely disruptive. You know, this kid is like so many uh, a challenging character, you know. And uh, after, you know, dealing with this for a certain amount of time, I really laid into the kid, you know, I really let him have it. And, you know, I, I lost my composure, you know, and I felt that I actually, I, I didn't demonstrate or embody um, the sort of respect that I've told young people that they're deserving of, you know, it, it didn't matter how justified or how reasonable it was in my mind. It, it was, it was not the right response. And I, I, I didn't feel right about it. When I went home, um, I said, you know what, I, I laid into him a little too hard, you know. And the next day, I said, you know, I'm going to reconcile this. And my response to that failure was to, you know, stand up before the class before even beginning the day's activities and publicly apologizing to him and saying, you know what, I apologize to you. Um, the way I spoke to you yesterday was wrong, and that's not what I stand for. That's not what I've tried to communicate to you guys. And, um you know, it's important for me to acknowledge you publicly and say that that was wrong. You know, I don't want anybody to feel like, uh, you know, they're not being appreciated. And, you know, honestly, the the kids uh, really appreciated that. Um, I'm sure not they that did. that was the purpose. But they said, I've never heard an adult apologize. So, I mean, whatever wow. purpose that served, that's fine. But I needed him to know that um, it bothered me the way that I handled that. So, What was it like when you returned back to the classroom? How were things different for you? Well, you know, um, because you spend so much time gone, um, they, in North Carolina, we're one of 11 states to do teacher of the year where you're actually gone the entire year. So, you know, they, it's a job in and of itself. And, um, I elected not to return to the classroom, not because I didn't want to, but, uh, after seeing all over across the state, the kind of 30,000 foot view of education, I elected to go into education policy. So tell me what your typical day is like then. So now my typical day is I serve a dual role. I um, I work for the public school form of North Carolina. That's an education nonprofit that does um, education advocacy through, the, through programming. Uh, so we work with teachers, uh, but also through policy research and analysis. So I'm usually uh, spending the time scouring through my daily mailers, uh, checking out what's happening on national education scene and even locally, uh, just always trying to remain abreast of what's taking place so that I can be a conduit of information for other teachers. Uh, in addition to that, I'm, I'm piloting a program that works with beginning teachers. It's called the Beginning Teacher Network. And our function is to take beginning teachers early in their career and uh, help them to develop themselves pedagogically to make sure that they're sound instructors first and foremost. Uh, and that they're on the pathway to becoming master teachers. But combining that with the ed policy orientation, the teachers really don't receive on a regular basis. So 
we're trying to create a new breed of teacher to respond to the changing times where, you know, teachers have to be really more, uh, not just adept at being, you know, classroom instructors and responding to student needs, but being able to advocate for the students um, outside of the classroom as well. So a lot of my time is spent planning those sessions, uh, reaching out to educators um, here both locally and in other counties, uh, trying to create that critical mass of teachers who are willing to help change the atmosphere of education at large. So there's a lot of phone calls, a lot of reading. It doesn't, it's not a lot, it's not at all like the classroom. And and I, I miss that dynamic so environment, <laughs> you know, yeah. but I feel like I'm still serving the greater good. So the current issue of Charlotte magazine has an article that you wrote. What is the current article that you wrote about? Sure. Uh, the current article is uh, called what segregated schools look like. And it deals with the issue of, Schools, public schools in Charlotte and Mecklenburg that are rapidly more segregated according to racial and socioeconomic lines. Um, it's really not unique to Charlotte and Mecklenburg. This is a national trend, but the reason why it's so pronounced is because uh, Charlotte and Mecklenburg schools was once uh, the, the hallmark of how to successfully integrate schools, cited in the Supreme Court case uh, Swan versus CMS. Uh, we're the ones who taught the rest of the nation how to bust to achieve parity. Um, and yet we've gone backwards. Our schools are racially isolated. Uh, we have extreme pockets of poverty. And, you know, I had the privilege, as I consider it, of teaching in one of those schools. But at the same time, it placed a lot of disadvantages uh, and, and concentrated students with very high needs in one area. And I don't think gave them the best opportunity at being successful. So I tried to lift up that issue uh, by speaking from my own personal experience, uh, going to segregated and then integrated schools and then having taught in that environment and trying to be an advocate for my students and then uh, hoping the educators will lend their voice to this discussion as well, because no one knows better uh, than those of us who spent time on the front line. So, And what year was that landmark around. decision? That was 71, 1971. Okay. Um, so we've gone a long, long way in the wrong direction yeah. uh, since then. James, what was it like meeting the President of the United States? <laughs> it was amazing. Um, obviously, one of the days I'll never forget. Um, I'd met him previously when he was state senator, Barack Obama, because I'm originally from Illinois. Uh, so to see him prior to and then to see him as president in the Oval Office, uh, it was just, uh, it was otherworldly. I can't explain. It's just surreal and uh, something I'll cherish for the rest of my days for sure. Do you remember what you said to him? You know what? I, you know, I'm kind of a goofy guy, man. So <laughs> I think I caught myself trying to joke with him. I tried to keep it light. I wore a tan suit that day. And uh, I was hoping he would wear his tan, tan suit, the one that made uh, a big splash. And so... We kind of joked about that, and he was saying, well, I'm wearing gray. We're both, you know, keeping it light on the sunny day. And, and he proceeded to tell me he was proud of me and, you know, just proud of the work that I was doing. So oh, we're all proud of you. It was a great time. Thank Absolutely. you very much. I'm honored. James, what is one book that you could recommend to our new teachers that would help them become a better teacher? You know what? For beginning teachers, I really enjoyed anything from Todd Whitaker. Uh, I'm a big Todd Whitaker fan. Um but what I've been reading most recently is um, Ed Journey by Grant Lickman. And the reason, maybe, I mean, I guess I'd say for beginning teachers, yes, because it deviates from convention. It's all about innovation and thinking outside of the box. And I think that's one of the assets that beginning teachers bring. 
to the classroom is that, you know, we don't have these walls put up necessarily in the early part of our career about what can and can't be done. And it's about achieving the end. You know, whatever the means are, we can argue about that. But getting the job done um, and thinking outside of the box, adding value to future experience, that's a really good book uh, with all the observations that he had over three months of traveling from schools to school all over the country. So that journey is really good. Okay, we'll put that in our show notes page. And James, what is one internet resource that can really help a new teacher in the classroom? You know what? Um, for new teachers, this is something that was not around that I didn't know about. But the Center for Teaching Quality, that happens to be based here in, uh, in North Carolina, is a really good practitioner website. So, and also it allows you to collaborate with other teachers, broken out into um, subject matter or grade level, um, and to work on pieces. And I mean, the teachers you end up interacting, rubbing shoulders with the ideas that are exchanged. It's everything that um, teachers look for. Uh, so I think it helps to expand your professional learning network uh, with teachers all over the country, and it's uh, chock full of strategies to hit the ground right away. So CTQ is wonderful. And what is the best thing about being a classroom teacher that you remember? Huh. The privilege. The privilege. Um, so much... So much gets said about the youth and what's not right with the world, and everybody has opinions on young people. Very few people actually have any interaction with young people. And so you're sitting there in the seat of instruction every day for 90 minutes for myself, and you get to interact with these young people, and they're charged with listening to you and you entrusting you with facilitating their education. What a powerful position. What a privilege. What an honor to be there while everybody else is talking and everybody else is making commentary. You're there on the front lines working with these young people. I always was just blown away by how much of a privilege it was to be in the classroom. And uh, I consider it one of the greatest honors in the entire world. Cool beans. James, do you have a favorite educational quote to inspire our new teachers? I do. And it happens to be from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and it's the function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. Intelligence plus character is the goal of true education. That sums up my education philosophy. Excellent. Intelligence plus character is the goal of true education. What a great quote. Absolutely. Are you ready for the final minute before the bell? I am. It's the hot seat. So. Okay. Morning person <laughs> or night owl? Night owl. Mac or PC? PC. I don't have Mac money. Favorite book from your childhood? Places you go. First paying job? Arts in the Parks. One television show that you try to watch every week? I don't have one. Last music download or song playing on your iPod? Common. This is your world. It's an unexpected snow day in North Carolina. What are you going to do with that very unexpected day off from school? I'm watching historical documentaries all day long. And the next item on your bucket list? Is to get my Ph.D. in urban education. There's the final bell. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Well, you know, you all can feel free to contact me at jameseford.net. Um, that's my personal website. Or you can follow me on Twitter at J-E-F-O-R-D-N-C-T-O-Y-S-N-C-T-O-Y. Um, and I tend to maintain a pretty decent presence on there as well. Uh, you can feel free to also 
check out the website of my employer. Uh, the website is www.ncforum.org, ncforum.org. That's the public school forum of North Carolina. Plenty of resources, uh, publications, and more information about the Beginning Teacher Network program that I'm working on. So very excited about that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the New Teacher Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you again to James for taking the time to talk with me on the New Teacher Podcast. You can review the show notes and mention links on our website at newteacher.org. Please remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review on iTunes to win a signed copy of Tom's book. Next week, my guest is the past Florida Teacher of the Year, Darina Sackman. Darina passionately tells what goes through her mind when a Teacher of the Year is about to be observed. It's a conversation that you will not want to forget, whether you're a new teacher or a veteran teacher. Well, that's our seventh show, and thank you again for listening. This is the New Teacher Podcast, and I'm your host, Anthony Arno. Be well. Thank you.